four, three, two, and we're live with Be Green with Amy. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Be Green with Amy. I'm Amy. After adopting a whole food plant-based lifestyle, my hubby Rick and I lost over 130 pounds. Now I coach others on their plant-based journey. Just test voice. Let's welcome our guest. Dr. Jeffrey Pierce is a double board certified family medicine physician. He is passionate about using a whole food, plant-based diet to help people get off medications and live longer, fuller lives. Please click like to help Be Green with Amy. Welcome, Dr. Jeffrey Pierce. Greetings and welcome back, Dr. Pierce. Thank you, Amy. Thank you very much for having me here today. Yeah, we've had you on a few times before, and we'll put links to those previous interviews in the show notes. And you have so many areas that you're so good at uh, explaining things about. And today, Dr. Pierce is going to talk about why sleep is so important to our health and why it should be non-negotiable and how we can get better sleep, because I think a lot of us really need to hear more about that. What do you say, Dr. Pierce? Well, you're absolutely correct, uh, Amy. And I think it's a it's a part of um, of our health and our wellness that we feel that, you know, socially it's acceptable to sort of just say, oh, it's not all that important. And, and sometimes even socially unacceptable to say, I really need eight hours or I don't function or man, I got nine hours last night because, uh, you know, you're wondering, are they going to think I'm lazy? Are they going to think that... Uh, I don't care about my job or uh, because I wasn't working uh, late into the night on things or waking up early to get back into it. Uh, and so it, it's, it's funny, this, uh, this, I guess, habit and, and process that's been with us for so long throughout human development, sleep and, you know, all, you know, animals do it and humans do it, but, but we have this negative connotation to it. So I think it's really important that we're talking about today because there's huge benefits of getting good sleep. And, and of course, a lot of risks if we're not getting uh, the sleep that we should be getting. Yeah, I agree about the social aspect, especially, you know, there are times, I mean, I've even done it sometimes in the past where somebody might wake me up because I, you know, they woke me up early because they were in a different time zone or something. And they say, did I wake you? And we always say, oh, no, no. <laughs> Meanwhile, your voice is like, oh, <laughs> of course they woke you up. <laughs> and you shouldn't be embarrassed about being sleepy. It's not a sign of weakness. It's it's a sign of good health if you're sleeping. So I wanted to start off with our game of true or false. It's time for true or false on Be Green with Amy Live. Answer true or false to Amy's questions in the comments below. And Amy will ask our guest for the expert answer. Okay, I think the first one I want to talk about, which I like a lot, is true or false. The Guinness Book of World Records no longer recognizes any attempts to hold a record for lack of sleep. So Green Warriors, you type in your guess. And Dr. Pierce, what do you want to say about that? Well, as uh, this was something that is, I think, pretty fascinating to, to know and to learn about because in the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, it holds everything from who's the tallest person and et cetera to, to who can do some of the craziest things like you know, jumping out and, uh, and falling the most feet before landing safely and, and things like that. And they've actually put a ban on trying to, they no longer will uh, basically 
recognize people who are trying to break the record for the um, most number of days uh, without sleep because it is actually extremely dangerous. And if you don't sleep for enough days in a row, people uh, lose touch with reality, um, uh, start to hallucinate and, uh, and eventually die actually. And it's been shown in animal models and studies um, and in, uh, in history books, when you look at people who've done it, uh, that's an extremely risky thing to do to try not to sleep for days on end. And um, it's a little fuzzy of what the longest uh, stretch has been, but maybe somewhere around 20 days. Um, and, uh, you know, people can fast for 30, 40, you know, up to, I think the record for fasting without eating any food was up to 300 plus days, 380 days, something crazy like that. Um, but just uh, uh, 20 or so days um, and uh, can lead to someone's death and, and probably even sooner. So don't uh, don't try to break any records. Uh, Guinness Book's not going to recognize it. Um, but but what's um, I think the take home message from this is that um, uh, it's important. Uh, shift workers are dealing with this all the time. You know, I, the other night I was on call uh, uh, on labor and delivery um, and, uh, you know, it is a certainly a, an honor and such a special chance to to be at a delivery and to help um uh women and, and their babies in those uh first moments of life um but it's also uh you know waking up uh, at two in the morning and if you you know if you were asleep anyway but if you were waking up and your heart's racing you got to run down the hall to to help with an emergency um shift uh, it's it's tough on the old system and, um, and studies have shown even with a single night, which is fascinating, um, especially in lieu of the fact that we as a, as, as a nation are sleeping less, maybe 20, 25% less than, um, than maybe our great grandparents or something uh, a couple generations back. Um, so we're, we're sleeping on a daily basis less, not getting that seven to nine hours of what's recommended. But even a single night can have really significant findings, such as um, a decrease in the a major decrease, like 70% decrease in the action of our natural killer cells, which is part of our immune system that is responsible for recognizing uh, things in our body that don't belong there, such as uh, new cancer cells. And, and uh, this is probably part of the mechanism why you see increased cancer risk for um, people who are not, not sleeping enough. Actually, I just I learned recently that the WHO has listed um, uh, shift work, so like nighttime shift work, as a potential carcinogen. Basically, something that increases our risk for cancer uh, is uh, working in a job where we just don't get good uh, sleep at the right time. So, um, uh, sleep is tied into how long we live, how well we live, whether we're living with a bunch of diseases or whether we're living disease-free. And even if we're living, living quote unquote disease-free, um, how are we, how good's our memory? How uh, are we gonna remember things uh, from the day before? How are we gonna perform on our tests? How, how well are we gonna perform on a race? Um, and so it affects, you know, just about every aspect of our lives. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to start off with that true or false because we were talking about how people were kind of embarrassed if they took a nap or if they're, you know, sleeping or, and if they didn't stay up late. And I really wanted you to tell us about how important it is for sleep because it's something it's a, it's well, it's one of the pillars of health. So it, it's, it's very important. And most people that are watching are 
probably interested or on a plant-based diet and they think that that is going to be everything that they need to get, get good health, but there are so many other pillars and sleep is one of them that's just so important. And I'm glad that you helped us talk about that as far as how important it is. For sure, right. No matter how many blueberries uh, and how much kale you put in your smoothie this morning, if you slept for two hours last night, you're not going to function off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so we have another uh, question, and this is true or false. Drowsy driving is similar to driving while driving under the influence of alcohol. Okay, Green Warriors, put in your guess, and Dr. Pierce, go ahead. Great. So um, this is a, a very pertinent question, uh, again, tied to uh, the uh, the particularly pertinent to, to those of us in the medical field where you see people coming off these long shifts um, and, uh, you know, you were working to save somebody's life overnight uh, on your shift, but then you can be in a car accident and, on the way home because you're uh, so, uh, your reaction times are down, your judgment's down, that you can end up a patient or worse, uh, you know, uh, put somebody else in, in the hospital after you worked all night trying to help people get out of the hospital. So yes, drowsy driving can be similar to uh, driving under the influence of alcohol. And um, it is uh, not just true for people doing shift work, of course, because so many of us deal with poor sleep. And some of it is just because of our, our sleep habits, what we call sleep hygiene. And we're definitely going to talk about that today. Um, uh, but some of it is um, from uh, medical conditions that we're living with, right? We, we have bad rheumatoid arthritis, so we have pain. And so therefore, we don't sleep well, or we have bad asthma or emphysema so we don't breathe well so we don't sleep well so those are tied together as well um and and then some yeah uh, uh whether or not it's because you chose to stay up and watch an extra couple of episodes of uh, binge watching on netflix or whether it's because you're forced into it because work or because of a medical condition you're living with um uh, you will be less uh, aware and awake and making great decisions the next day. And that can have immediate consequences for people who are have, working on with heavy machinery or while driving. Yeah. And I think that there are some people that may think that they're getting sufficient sleep, even though they're not getting enough and that they think that, that they're still going to, they still can function. They can drive, they can do all these things, even though they may not get, as much sleep as they they should. So I think it's important because maybe while they're, even though they think that they're getting enough sleep, they're not and, and that they're uh, going to be suffering the consequences by having something, maybe something not very desirable happen if they're driving or even like you were talking about decision-making and things like that. So it has, it has a lot of effects on things and I'm glad that you're here to talk about it. Sure. I think that's another similarity with being uh, inebriated, being under the influence of alcohol is that you often uh, you'll hear people say, oh, I do fine on four hours of sleep the next day. And so there is a, um, a lack of awareness of your reduction sometimes in your reduction of uh, reaction time and ability to function similarly to where you see somebody leaving the bar uh, sort of stumbling and saying, oh, I'm fine. I can drive. Give me the keys. Um, and it takes someone else, sometimes uh, a loved one, a family member, the, the bartender, uh, to say, no, you're actually not fine. Um, and uh, that's uh, why sometimes people 
uh, are seeing their doc, talking to their doc about the insomnia uh, sometimes because of uh, pressure from family members as well. Yeah, it takes the other people to recognize it sometimes. That's very true. Okay, here's here's one that I thought was interesting. True or false, during certain stages of sleep, your brain is up to 30% more active than when you're awake. True or false, Green Warriors? Okay, Dr. Pierce. So uh, while I'm not, I'm not sure of the exact percentage, I'd say what is uh, a revelation to a lot of people is that, you know, we used to think in the old days that when you went to sleep, the lights, you know, sort of uh, uh, metaphorically, the lights went out and you um, uh, were in a comatose state and things were just kind of uh, like that until you woke up and then your brain started working again and um, back to normal. But uh, of course, brain scientists um, have learned so much uh, in recent years about what's going on in our brains and that the brains are uh, highly active, um, doing very important work, um, essential work uh, uh, during the night when our consciousness is down. And so uh, that one of the biggest and most exciting finds recently was the work, uh, was the discovery of what is called the glymphatic uh, system, very similar to our lymphatic system in our uh, the rest of our body that sort of cleans up uh, debris and gets rid of stuff and sort of filters things out. The brain has a similar um, uh, sort of washing out of the debris that had built up during the day. Um, and uh, it's uh, sort of like the day after, uh, you know, Mardi Gras or a big parade and early in the morning before the cleaning or, or late at night, early in the morning before the cleaning crew comes through, there's, you know, uh, uh, empty soda cans and um, all sorts of stuff that have been just dumped by the roadside. And then the cleaning crew comes through and it's uh, beautiful and functional again by, by the next day. Um, and uh, one of the reasons why uh, this is um, so exciting is that uh, one of the dysfunctional proteins that is cleared out during this uh, time period by the lymphatic system is the beta amyloid protein, which is a protein that's so, uh, it seems to be so important and so um uh, prevalent in people with uh, Alzheimer's disease. It's actually a, a sort of a scene in everyone, I guess, with Alzheimer's disease. And so uh, you having poor sleep has been uh, associated with increased risks of Alzheimer's, for example, and other forms of dementia. So um, uh, definitely when we're asleep, our brain is uh, cleaning stuff out. It's also sort of uh, getting rid of the things, snipping out the things that we don't really need to remember. You know, I don't need to remember the phone number for this uh, um, uh, company that I call today that I'm never going to call again. Uh, it gets rid of that, but it also helps to solidify in some of the deeper sleep, et cetera, to uh, solidify some of these memories um, in, the in the rapid eye movement sleep or the REM sleep to uh, help with um, creativity and, and whatnot. So brains are highly active when we're asleep. Yeah, that's just so, so interesting because it really does feel like you just kind of sh shut down and get unplugged. So it's, it's very necessary to have that amount, the, the rest so that we can have those things happening in our bodies. Sure. And uh, one other thing that you made me think of just there was that uh, some people who don't, who have certain kinds of sleep disorders where that connection, where we don't... Uh, turn off the physical side so well, and there's still some attachment to what's going on in our brain, uh, have these, are people who sleepwalk or sleep drive or sleep run or sleep cook and all of these things where 
they don't have a, a complete severing of the sort of motor and uh, all the activity that's going on in the brain. And so um, that's another example of how, uh, you know, obviously things are going on in our brain um, and some people uh, who aren't able to make that disconnect uh, are manifesting some of the things that are going on uh, while they're asleep. Okay, here's another true or false. Sleep disorders are very common in people with mental disorders. True or false? Okay, Dr. Pierce. So it's, I'm glad that you uh, brought this question up or this true false uh, question up because it is um, very important when someone is uh, experiencing poor sleep, um, insomnia, et cetera, to screen for a couple of things. Uh, and I look at it in, in both directions, both sometimes people who say, I just, uh, I can't go, I can't get to bed at night. It takes me forever to fall asleep. And then if I wake up, I wake up early, too early in the morning and I just sit there and I'm thinking about all sorts of things. My thoughts are racing. Um, and so sometimes people with poor sleep already have a um, mental health disorder like anxiety or depression or uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, et cetera, schizophrenia, et cetera. Um, and then the, the reverse is true is that people who do not have um, a mental health disorder, mental health disease, um, uh, will experience a lot of these symptoms because they have poor sleep. And so if you um, got, you know, the happiest man and woman in the world and made them stay up for seven nights in a row, um, they would start to exhibit anxiety, depression, and, um, and like we talked about hallucinations and, and all sorts of things that, uh, so it's just key um, for mental health, um, both for maintaining the uh, clarity and the mental health that you have, and also for helping to, um, work with and treat people who have depression, anxiety, PTSD, et cetera, if you have horrible sleep, um, uh, it's going to be hard to uh, help those disorders. So it's very, very, uh, very, very common and very important. Hmm. Okay. Well, we have one more true or false question, and then we'll get on to more things. And, and those of you that are watching, if you have a question for Dr. Pierce, please put it in the comments and we will ask it to him a little bit later on in the show. So our final true or false is people need less sleep as they grow older. True or false? Okay, Dr. Pierce. Very good question. Um, there is uh, a lot of uh, mm, a lot of different thoughts, uh, common thoughts and misconceptions about how much sleep we should get and um, uh, in different stages of life. And there's a nice um, there's actually a nice graph from the National Sleep Foundation um, that people can uh, can look up that helps break down what the average hours of sleep um, recommended needed um, by different um, age groups. And if as you look at the curve, it slowly decreases over time. And so newborns in the zero to three months, um, as the brain is uh, forming so many new connections and growing, et cetera, get a recommended on average, sometimes a little less than sometimes a little more even, but get on, uh, need to get on average 14 to 17 hours worth of sleep, um, which is just sounds amazing uh, to think about uh, if we still needed that at, you know, at our age, uh, we've got to go to bed. Uh, <laughs> if I'm going to get those 17 hours in before I have to go to work. Um, but, uh, but of course the, that is what they need for the, uh, the developing brain and 
um, it, it turns out that the brain is still developing and growing um, uh, in many ways until about age 25. Um, uh, but the, the majority of it is when we're young. So um, as a uh, preschool, no, excuse me, as a school age where my daughter is, who's uh, eight, um, the recommendation is nine to 11 hours. Um, for the uh, teenager, a little bit less, eight to 10. Adults, um, uh, the seven to nine range that you hear uh, quoted so often. And then older adults from the 65 and above um, uh, are in the seven to eight on average, but sometimes can get away with a little bit less and a little bit more. So, um, uh, but you see this trend that goes from the, from newborns all the way through to older adults that little by little, we uh, require less. Now, um, it's a little bit tricky because as you get older, you also don't sleep as well. And so one thing that is important to remember is if you have as your goal of getting eight hours of sleep, um, at, at, when, when we're younger, mostly we can go to bed and our head hits the pillow and we're asleep. And so if we, even if we, we have eight hours in bed, that often equates close to eight hours of sleep. But as you get older, um, eight hours of bedtime, meaning I'm going to go to bed at midnight and wake up at eight, or I'm going to go to bed at 10 at night and wake up at six, um, eight hours of bedtime does not equate to eight hours of sleep time um, as our sleep, what's called sleep efficiency gets worse. And so, um, you know, you uh, men are waking up more often, uh, well, both men and women are often waking up more often to go pee uh, at night, either because prostate issues or because of uh, bladder irritation or changes in the bladder uh, um, tissues uh, as estrogen levels have changed in women, et cetera. Um, we just don't get into sleep as well uh, as you get older. And so you have to pay attention to that. And you can't just say, well, I'm shooting for uh, seven hours tonight. And I'm going to be in bed for seven hours. It doesn't work that way. You have to add in extra time of, of being in bed to account for the times that you're awake and waking up. Okay, well, that's good to know because that's that may help some people if they're still feeling tired and they think that they were getting to bed at a certain time and then that's maybe not fulfilling what their requirements are. So, so you talked about infants, newborns, and and we talked about the the older people. So, are there different stages of life where their the requirements change? Um, as far as uh, hours of sleep, yeah, or... yeah, the, uh, the number of hours that somebody should should get. Yeah, and um, so I I think especially for those of us who are parents or grandparents in charge of how much sleep our kids are getting, that chart from the National Sleep Foundation is helpful because um, if you would have asked me without looking at this chart. Um, uh, even after going through med school and you'd said, well, my daughter is two, what's the recommended number hours of sleep for them? I wouldn't know off the top of my head. So having this chart to reference is really, is really good. I think it's particularly important as kids are having more access to screen time. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, I don't use this, my old iPhone, so you can keep it in your room for, you know, watching some cartoons or listening to some music. Uh, and, and that can get away from us. We have to be very careful with screen time, et cetera. Um, and so uh, having that chart to refer to is great, uh, just as you see the, the slow drop off in years uh, excuse, per year um, for the required number of hours of sleep. So the last time, uh, the last age group before you get to the seven to nine uh, is the teen 
uh, years where they're still recommending eight to 10 hours on average uh, of sleep for teens. And it's interesting that with teens, for example, you switched from when you were a younger uh, school age or adolescent where uh, early morning awakening is natural for most uh, kids in that age group. Um, so they're able to get up for school a little bit easier. They're a little bit more awake for their first period, et cetera. Then when you get into teens, there's uh, very frequently the switch in when you, uh, the sleep wake time that it shifted such that teens end up naturally wanting to go to bed later and wake up later. And so if you're still telling them you got to wake up at five for swim practice uh, and then get to your pre, you know, your zero period of your extracurricular band class or whatever it is. And then, you know, all of this stuff is just really counterintuitive uh, or counterproductive as well. And that is why there's a push in some places for uh, for later start times in school, especially if you can do it for kids who are in that teen range so that they're not zombies. And we already talked about how um, you're just, even if you're able to get to class on time, if you got poor sleep the night before, uh, your brain's a bit of a sieve and uh, you're not gonna have the school performance uh, because you're not able to capture those memories. And a good example that was brought up by Dr. Dr. Matthew Walker, one of the uh, leading uh, sleep scientists at a University of California, Berkeley, uh, was a study that showed at, when they moved the start time for teens, uh, uh, for, for school for teens, um, uh, school performance got better, um, the absenteeism went down, and actually there were fewer uh, road traffic accidents in the, I think, 16 to 18 year old group because they were getting better sleep and they were less sleepy at the wheel. Uh, so there's, it's, it is important to pay attention to what our body has developed. Uh, our body and brains have developed over just, um, you know, so many, 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 many years. It's just so fascinating that, that sleep or lack of it can have such a, an effect on our health in so many areas. I mean, we talked about mental health disorders and now there are people that are, that are, have adopted this lifestyle and maybe they are, they're, they're, one of their goals is to lose weight and perhaps even me, even if they're really being very good about sticking to it and not, and not uh, going off plan they may still have some issues and maybe, and, and they would have a consult with you and you, maybe you might check their thyroid. I mean, there's so many things that you would check to see why they're not losing the weight, but could sleep have something to do with it also? Uh, yeah, it's pretty fascinating um, because oftentimes, yes, we're focusing on what are you eating during the day? Are you eating more, you know, more plants, uh, uh, which are, naturally lowering calories and also boost your post-meal calorie burn uh, versus are you eating more animal products and junk food? Are you um, uh, exercising um, to help maintain your gains, um, et cetera? And uh, if we're not careful, we ignore the sleep part. Um, and it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating how sleep can affect uh, weight loss. And so if, you, if you're getting good sleep, um, your, um, your body is producing enough leptin, which is a, a, a that's leptin with a P, right? Yes. L Not lectin, like people are worried about lectin. Uh, <laughs> this is a different yeah, thing. The, the natural hormone called leptin, um, is, uh, a satiety hormone. So that when you have a level of that, it, it says you're, you, you feel, okay, I've had enough to eat. I'm satisfied. 
And it also means if you're getting enough sleep that you have lower levels of what's called ghrelin, that's G-H-R-E-L-I-N, and that's a sort of hunger hormone. Um, and so having a lot of satiety hormone, having low levels of hunger hormone, you're just uh, naturally not driven to eat as much. And this is the opposite happens when you don't get enough sleep. Your satiety level uh, hormones go down, your hunger hormones go up. And it's not just like, oh man, I only got two hours of sleep. Give me some of that lettuce. Um, we end up we end up choosing uh, worse foods. And there was an interesting study um, that Dr. Walker's group apparently did as well, um, where they put people in MRIs and they showed them images of different kinds of foods um, and they sleep, they were sleep deprived, the participants. And so um, they tended to choose more of the high calorie junk food type things and then when they were eating those foods, again, uh, getting their brains imaged, it looked like the parts of the brain that were lighting up were they had less of the forebrain activity, which is usually that part of the brain that says, no, don't do that crazy thing that you're thinking about doing. There, there was less of that forebrain activity and more uh, activity in parts of the brain that were parts of like addiction pathways and whatnot. And so um, uh, poor sleep uh, leads to worse food choices when we're hungry. seems like in some studies eating and maybe another 400 or 500 extra calories during the day. Um, uh, we're more impulsive in our uh, food choices. And, and uh, there's some evidence that we, uh, if you're losing weight, if you're trying to lose weight while also not getting good sleep, you, uh, your body's holding on to the fat mass more than the muscle mass. So you might be actually losing more muscle than you are fat in those, um, in, in, in those situations when you're not getting enough sleep. Um, and tied into all this, as uh, Dr. Will Bolshevitz uh, has pointed out, tied into all of this is that poor sleep shifts our microbiome towards a, um, you know, a pattern. The microbiome, of course, made up of predominantly bacteria, but also yeast and viruses, archaea, and all, et cetera. It, sh it shifts that microbiome towards a profile that uh, promotes obesity. And so um, there in just so many different ways our body is hijacked from our attempts to uh, get down to a healthier weight if we're not sleeping enough. And so uh, very important to, to pay attention to that as well. That is a big deal because I think that that, that could be helpful to so many people because there, you know, there are people that out there that are really battling with the weight loss and there's just so many things that, that uh, get in their way. And I don't know if they all knew about the sleep factors. So that's something that we can talk about as far as what we can do about that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's very important. So now if you, um, let's talk, we talked a little bit about um, brain health. So do you want to get, talk a little bit more about that as far as Alzheimer's and dementia? Sure. Um, you know, we talked, uh, we had the I had the pleasure of being on your show and talking about Alzheimer's uh, and other forms of dementia mm -hmm. not too long ago. And uh, uh, I mentioned then that it was a, it's near and dear to my heart because of family, uh, having a family member who had it. Um, and a lot of us uh, have a loved one who have been affected uh, by Alzheimer's disease. Um, and um, I think part of what is so scary about some, this diseases is that uh, we often feel like there's nothing that we can do about it. Um, uh, oftentimes when uh, you're told, well, 
you know, you have this diagnosis of high blood pressure, but if you lose weight and um, exercise more and eat more plants and lower the salt in your diet, um, et cetera, you, you can reverse it. Well, that's super powerful, but what a, what's very fearful for a lot of people, if, especially when they're not uh, maybe looking at all sources of information, they say, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about cancer. I'm just going to get cancer or I'm not. There's nothing I can do about uh, dementia. I'm either going to but it's in genes. And uh, as you've so many times, I'm sure on uh, the people who come and talk with you on your show, Amy, is that, you know, genes uh, are part of the equation. They help set up our risk, but how we live our life every day uh, helps to um, see which genes are turned on and which genes are turned off. Um, and, uh, and sleep uh, it definitely is part of that as well. Which, uh, which genes are turned on, which genes are turned off. Uh, depends on if we're getting that seven to nine hours or if we are missing um, uh, uh, hours of sleep. Uh, and, and actually, even though this is directly, uh, uh, it does make me think of a study where um, uh, even with a single, I think it was a single night of, oh, no, let's see. It was six hours of sleep a night for a week. So for some people, they'd be like, oh, six hours, that's not too bad. But six hours, remember, is uh, one to two hours less than what's recommended. Um, they saw a change in about 700 genes um, just from that lack of one, two hours of sleep per week. Um, and about half of the genes um, that were um, uh, upre upregulated, meaning that were turning on, those were the ones uh, associated with tumor production, inflammation, cardiovascular disease. And then the other half of the genes, they were turned down and those were immune system related. Uh, and so you, your immune uh, immune system seemed to be less active. And that's just with, you know, a couple hours uh, lack of sleep at night. Um, and so uh, tying it back to, to, um, to memory and to dementia, um, we need sleep um, for uh, trying to stave off dementia. And when you look at people who have uh, chronically had poor sleep. There's an increased risk for dementia later in life. Um, and um, some of the work that Matthew Walker is doing out of University of California, Berkeley is uh, saying, well, what can we do in maybe early adulthood, midlife um, with our sleep now to uh, try to decrease risk for uh, dementia later in life? And you know, certainly ongoing research. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the benefits of sleep is that it's of all the things that you're thinking about, like buying healthy plant food, buying a membership to a gym, or even just buying new running shoes, you know, buying, um, uh, various other components of our health and wellness sleep is free. And so that is, uh, that is available to us. Um, uh, you know, even at the end of the month before the next paycheck is coming. So, uh, uh, it's something that we can focus on and that uh, will help benefit uh, our risk for dementia as well as all these other conditions that we are, have been talking about today. Well, very good. So with, was there any other aspect of health that you wanted to talk about as far as sleep having an effect on it? Sure. Um, I, th I think uh, uh, one, th one study that I just uh, remembered, uh, tying it back to memory, uh, is they looked at airline pilots, uh, and uh, and as a profession, I think airline pilots have poor sleep because of jumping uh, uh, time zones and having jet lag. 
and they in, they had uh, a little bit smaller areas of the brain that are uh, uh, super important for memory, the hippocampus. And so they they had smaller par parts of those brains. Uh, and the longer you, they uh, they were in the profession of being an airline pilot, the smaller they were. So it's sort of dose dependent. Um, and so uh, if you're seeing a change um, physically on like the actual size of the part of the brain that deals with memory um, when it when we have small, um, when we have uh, sleep deprivation, um, uh, you know, that's another uh, possible explanation or possible uh, reinforcing of why uh, sleep is important for um, memory and dementia risk. Um, I, I think there's also a tie to people who have ob uh, obstructive sleep apnea, which is the classic person who snores, uh, looks like for multiple times during the night, they stop breathing for a little bit, their partner has to give them an elbow to make them start breathing again. Um, and um, they tend to have high blood pressure and sleep and being fatigued and, and uh, groggy the next day. Uh, there's a lot of people with obstructive sleep apnea and the people who, with obstructive sleep apnea, who got on treatment and, and um, use their treatment, which is usually a, a positive pressure breathing apparatus called a CPAP, um, they had lower risk of dementia later in life as compared to those with sleep apnea who weren't on their proper treatment. So. One other thing uh, that I guess is worth mentioning about memory, but um, I think we've I think we've done a pretty good job covering how um, sleep is related to uh, multiple aspects of our life um, without going into uh, uh, too much more detail about some of the other um, conditions. I will mention one more diabetes, which is so prevalent and uh, prediabetes, which is on the mind of many of us and many of your listeners, um, is that uh, even with just a handful of days of sleep deprivation in the lab, um, the uh, fasting sugars first thing in the morning were in the pre-diabetic range for this uh, group of participants. Um, and if, in order to get that pre-diabetic range of sugars, uh, just from weight gain, for example, they would have had to gain 20 pounds in that handful of days. But instead, um, just by some sleep deprivation uh, of a couple of hours, uh, they're their metabolic system was so out of whack that they had increased levels of sugar first thing in the morning, probably due to increased cortisol and other uh, sort of inflammatory processes. So it's just important all around. Um, and, and what I'd like to do, if it works with you now, Amy, is to talk a little bit about how, you know, we've talked a lot, uh, half the show so far about all the bad things that come around by not sleeping and why it is important to sleep. Uh, and I think we should maybe talk about some of the things that we can do to uh, help make sure that we are getting good sleep. Yes, we need, we need some hope, Dr. Pierce. So go ahead and give us some hope and some good, good information. That's what we need. Cool. Um, and, and I see some questions are coming in. So please uh, feel free to at any point interrupt me and let me know which one of those, which ones of those you'd like to. Address. Okay. Well, before you start, I'll, I'll I wanted to say that Skylove said great info, so I wanted to tell you that. And you were talking about sleep apnea. So Rochelle said, once you have sleep apnea, do you always have it? If you're heavy when diagnosed and lose a lot of weight, can that make a difference? It can. Um, so it's, it is important to know that people can have sleep apnea even with normal weight. Um, and uh, sometimes it has to do with the, just the tissues uh, in our neck, in the back of our neck and how they collapse and, and not when we are uh, lying on our back and sleeping. Um, but, but oftentimes it is associated with being overweight or obese. 
and you can see people's sleep apnea get better um, uh, with weight loss and um, and also sometimes like different things to help with positioning of the jaw and things like that. So, um, so yes, uh, another good reason to continue to work on for people with sleep apnea to continue to work on maintaining, uh, reaching a healthy weight and working with your sleep um, medicine doctor to see, uh, you know, do I, do I still need the CPAP? Uh, maybe I need it, but I just can put it on, on different settings uh, and things like that. Yeah, that's good to know. Of course, we're differentiating between obstructive sleep apnea and central sleep apnea because the central sleep apnea is more, uh, I guess it, it's based more on brain, on your brain and, and the signals that your brain give off to right. your, to your sleeping. Okay. Oh, and uh, let's see, Rochelle said, what are your thoughts of melatonin? Cool. So um, melatonin produced in the uh, pineal gland in our brain is part of our very complicated uh, collection of hormones and other chemicals and uh, internal body clock, et cetera, that help us maintain our sleep-wake cycle, um, our, you know, our 24-hour clock, et cetera. And um, so in the morning, typically our um, cortisol hormone is high and our melatonin uh, hormone is low. And then you wake up, you get exposure to sunlight, um, and your cortisol level starts to fall. And little by little, your melatonin builds up and it's higher. Um, your melatonin level is higher at night um, when you are uh, naturally, uh, when you are getting ready for bed. Um, the, uh, that has led to people uh, saying, well, how about if we try melatonin if we're having trouble sleeping? And um, uh, I think melatonin is definitely a, uh, a supplement that can be used for sleep. Um, my feelings on it generally are that it's best for um, special events. So you're making a flight and you're jumping several time zones um, and you want to have as little jet lag as possible, taking a low dose of melatonin in addition to doing um, the other sleep hygiene things that we'll be talking about can be helpful. It's not, it's not really something that I prefer my patients to take on a regular basis. Um, there's some theoretical risks with, um, because these are huge doses, really the body that you're, the amount that your body produces are very, very small. Um, but we, we take much larger doses maybe to, to make sure that it gets in where it needs to get to work. Um, but uh, so there's some theoretical concerns about what that does to the developing brain. So giving it to, to younger kids, do we know what higher doses do chronically? Um, probably we don't know all the things that can happen from it. Um, would I prefer a patient taking melatonin five times a month as compared to taking a lot of the other sleep medications that are controlled substances with uh, uh, addiction and, and uh, abuse potential and, and stuff for sure? Um, but, um, it, uh, it can help people fall asleep a little bit faster, but, um, I would, uh, as, as you'll see, uh, the focus hopefully is in general on, um, our daily sleep habits, our sleep hygiene. And then for people who are struggling with insomnia, which is a major deal, a third of people at least, uh, have had insomnia, um, at some point, and then maybe 10 to 15% of our population has chronic insomnia, which lasts for months to years. It's a major deal. Um, 
uh, I think uh, we'll, uh, we'll be talking about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI, uh, which uh, is recommended as first-line therapy for insomnia over medications and supplements. Okay, well, why don't we get started in some solutions because sleep seems to be elusive for so many people and they're looking for a, a pill of melatonin to make it all happen for them and, and it, could, it can happen if they follow some advice. So what do you say, Dr. Pierce? Sure, sure, sure. So um, the, I think on one hand, there's thinking about, okay, so how can those of us who in general sleep pretty well, but maybe we are getting less than the seven to nine hours, or we'll just say the, less than the eight hours on average recommended, uh, what can we do to get that? Um, and then there's also a, a separate group, which are uh, those of us that are suffering with insomnia that really like we get into bed, we stay awake for an hour and a half, we wake up three times in the middle of the night, we wake up too early, um, we're groggy, and, the next day and not able to perform well at work, falling asleep when we're taking care of our kids, you know, falling asleep at the stoplight, et cetera. So that's a bit of a, di of a different group, which will still benefit from the sleep habits that I'm going to talk about right now, but, but definitely need additional help. Um, it's uh, a good example that I heard recently was you can go to your um, trainer or your exercise physiologist, who's going to give you this great optimization program on how to be prepared for your, a marathon at the end of the month. But if you have a broken ankle, all of those tips and tricks aren't going to be great until your broken ankle gets better. And, um, uh, and so uh, we're going to treat them as slightly different uh, or as separate things. So, but focusing on what the majority of us uh, can benefit from, which is just a little bit more sleep, what are we doing that we could be doing better to maximize that? Um, here's like some eight basic steps. Um, Again, this is taken uh, predominantly from Matthew Walker's work, and um, uh, and we can list, um, maybe Amy, I'll get to you, some of the podcast episodes that I recommend people to listen to if they want to get deeper into this. And of course, uh, also, uh, Matthew Walker has a great book as well. So um, Yeah, I'll put a link to his book because it is a fabulous book. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes and also in the comments if people are interested. That's great. Yeah. And he has, for people who are just want to dip a toe in, he's got a good TED talk, which is called sleep is your superpower. Um, and, uh, you know, that's like 19 minutes long if you're not ready to, uh, uh, commit to the hours necessary to read the book. Um, so, uh, uh, and, and probably also worth mentioning his interview with, uh, Rich Roll, of course, Rich mm -hmm. Roll being a, a very great source for all things, uh, life, uh, healthy lifestyle, but, uh, he has a great, like two and a half to three hour interview with Dr. Walker. Okay. So eight basic things. Um, uh, sleep regularity is a big one that, uh, uh, makes a difference. So going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time, seven days a week. And uh, what a lot of us do are we, because of the crunch of work and school and, uh, you know, getting home late from work, but wanting to enjoy time with family and watch some movies or whatever it is. Uh, we'll go to bed uh, late during uh, or at a certain time during the week and wake up very early during the week. But then we'll say, we'll just catch up over the weekend. And it actually doesn't work out that way. You can't um, create a debt and hope to pay it off. Um, you know, over the weekend, it doesn't work that well. So try to go to bed the same time uh, every night, wake up around the same time within, you know, half an hour or so, half an hour to an hour. Um, so set the uh, alarm for, for going to bed 
And that's also that can also be helpful. So set alarm on your on your phone, for example, that sends a, that gives you a gentle reminder that it's time to go to bed in 15 minutes or or whatever. Yeah, because um, we're setting alarms for the morning, but we're not setting alarms for the night. <laughs> that's right. And then then the weekend comes and you don't set alarm at all, and you you know we're so sleep deprived for the last couple of days that you sleep in until 10 in the morning instead of waking up at 7:30, uh, and then you're uh, playing catch up and all these, uh, it just doesn't work as well. So sleep regularity, big one. Um, uh, next one to think about is sunlight. Um, uh, believe it or not, uh, we have not been inside, uh, our little cubbies and homes in front of computers for the, all that long. And we have, uh, we have developed, uh, we have, um, uh, become, uh, you know, over the, in, yeah. evolved, uh, uh, outside. And so, uh, waking up, um, when we can, and I know some of this depends on where we are in the year and where we are in the world, but waking and what our jobs are requiring of us, but getting early sunlight, if at all possible, getting outside, getting sunlight into our eyes, um, you know, as little as five minutes might be helpful if it's bright and sunny or, uh, you know, maybe 30 minutes if it's cloudy and, and still not all that bright, um, but trying to get out and get some sunlight early in the day. Um and then uh, uh, being outside, get outside a little bit in the late afternoon, early evening when the sun is coming down towards the horizon that also uh, reacts with different neurons in our retina and brain to help let us know that uh, the day is starting to wind down. And then at night having as little light as possible. And so um, that could mean um, uh, candlelight for, and moonlight for people who want to go hardcore on this, uh, or uh, maybe more realistically for most of us is, uh, a low wattage desk lamp instead of a bright fluorescent overhead ceiling uh, light, um, for example. Um, screens and the blue light probably plays a role as well, uh, though how much of that is just the, act, the raising of excitement and activity uh, from all the things that are happening on those screens and keeping us uh, engaged and awake. But, um, but having sunlight in the morning, uh, a little bit of uh, uh, trying to get out as well in the late afternoon or evening, and then low light uh, after after sunset. Um, and stop me at any point while we're going through these if you need to. And so um, another thing that uh, is key is temperature. And so um, when we when naturally what happens uh, it, to help us go to sleep is that our core body temperature cools by two or three degrees to fall asleep and to stay asleep. And then as we're uh, just as we're waking up and our cortisol levels are rising our core body temperature naturally starts to increase. And so um, it might be helpful to be, uh, to get warm in the morning um, to help start the, start the clock. Uh, what some people will do actually will take like a one or two minute cold shower, which even though it's uh, cold on us externally, it clamps down all of, all of our peripheral blood vessels and sends uh, warmth into our core as a protective measure that helps to warm you up in the morning. Not a lot of us want to take a cool shower in the morning, but a lot of us like the idea of taking a warm shower uh, or hot shower at night uh, or dipping into a, a, a bath or hot tub or something like that. Um, and that helps to do the opposite. It, it gets you a little bit warm uh, peripherally, but then as uh, you um, get out, your body starts to cool down and it helps um, uh, to drop your core temperature. And so that's helpful. And then having a room that is conducive temperature wise uh, is one aspect of that. Uh, to, they say oftentimes the optimal degrees, uh, temperature might be 65 to 67 
So keeping your room uh, cool, if, if possible, it's kind of hard uh, this time of uh, year where we are going through a heat wave. We don't have any air conditioning in our house. So we, you know, we have the blinds closed and the fans on, et cetera. But um, uh, trying to get that room temperature 65, 67, and then having some blankets available that you can kick off or, you know, stick your hand or your foot out uh, of to help drop the temperature as you need to um, if you're getting too, um, too warm from the blankets. Um, so that's temperature. So first was sleep regularity. Second was sunlight. Third was uh, how temperature, how to maximize temperature. Fourth is uh, what to do if you've been in bed and you haven't fallen asleep. So that's a big deal for a lot of people. Oh, we, get yeah. in bed, we get in bed, our mind's still racing with uh, what we did today, what we didn't do today, what we have to do tomorrow, um, et cetera. And if, uh, and, uh, if you're not asleep um, after going to bed, um, after about 20 minutes, um, uh, the recommendation is, and, and, and the idea is that you're going to bed to go to sleep, by the way. Um, because none of us would, would sit down at the table when we're not hungry and just stay at the table until we got hungry. Um, similarly, we shouldn't just get into bed and wait to get tired. So go to bed when you're tired. And if you've been in bed and you're, and you haven't fallen asleep in about 20 minutes, get out, do something really boring in another part of the house if possible. Um, so for some people that's, um, you know, turning on a low light and reading something super boring, doing some stretches, doing some breathing, but you want to as associate your bed with, um, you want to associate your bed with sleeping. So in the bed, you should be sleeping or, uh, and you and you hear during cognitive behavioral therapy, the idea is the bed's not for watching television, not for taking notes, not for paying your bills. It's for sleeping or having sex and you're um, not for eating, not for right? eating. People right. Your brain should be tuned into uh, what should be happening in bed and it's not uh, all those other things. So, um, uh, so that's a good one. And, uh, the, the next one is to pay attention to caffeine, alcohol, and cigarettes. Uh, cigarettes is, is um, you know, we probably shouldn't be smoking any time of the day, but particularly uh, for those people who are trying to kick the habit, uh, if you have to smoke a cigarette or two, do it uh, early in the day because nicotine is, is uh, activating. Caffeine, um, you know, coffee uh, and tea has been associated with health benefits in, in the majority of studies. But if you're uh, having caffeine later in the day, and particularly if you're a slow processor of caffeine, um, you should um, have your coffee early in the day, uh, have decaffeinated coffee. You know, decaffeinated coffee gets rid of about 97% of your caffeine. Um, so there's still a little bit in there, but much less. Um, and uh, so if you need to have caffeine, a coffee later in the afternoon, uh, I'd go with decaf and there's still health benefits associated with, with decaf coffee for sure. Um, and yeah, then I, mean, I find also for, for chocolate, because yes. I mean, I'm on a, I have a healthy lifestyle, but I like my chocolate and ice cream and I have uh, whole food plant-based chocolate cupcakes sometimes, mm -hmm. but I, I'm sensitive to caffeine and I have to be careful not to have that too, too late in the evening. If yes. I don't have any chocolate. That's a good point. You know, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of, of super dark chocolate. So I'm sort of the 85, 90, 100% dark chocolate. Uh, and I'll have a, a square or half a square pretty frequently after dinner. And um, uh, and so I looked that up just to get an idea. And this is roughly um, if you eat one square, which is, you know, I don't know about uh, matchbook size or a little bit, uh, I guess a little bit smaller. 
um, that was about uh, four to five milligrams of caffeine compared to 95 from a full cup of caffeinated coffee. But um, <laughs> when you look at the when you look at the package, it says a, a serving size is four full squares, which uh, I guess some people uh, will eat four full squares, which was about half of the large bar. But if you can get away with having a small percent, a small portion like a, a square, um, then that from for many people will be fine. But for people who are particularly caffeine sensitive, um, you got to be careful with that too. Right, because it can be in your bloodstream, like even five, six hours later. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right. And some people, I, I think the people who can get away with drinking five cups of regular coffee a day and the last one is after dinner and still fall asleep must be super fast processors of caffeine. Mm -hmm. But then there are other people who can like, you know, smell coffee brewing at as they drive past the uh, Pete's Coffee or the Starbucks and, and they're jittery for the rest of the night, you know, uh, it seems like. So so some people are just really slow, uh, slow processing and, and know thyself uh, to help uh, you make those decisions. Right. I, w I probably wouldn't even with chocolate, if I would probably some people it's as early as 2 p.m., but I could probably go maybe 4 or 5 p.m. But if it's after that, I'll, I'll try to sleep at night and, and I'll say, why am I awake? Why am I awake? And then I'll say, oh, yeah, I had that. I had that chocolate after dinner. So for me, I'm I have it'll stay in my system a lot. But but even I think I heard something about that. It can it can the caffeine can affect your deep sleep quality. Mm. So even if you fall asleep, but you may not get deep sleep okay. because because you're having that. And then there's that vicious cycle, right? So so you're up all night, right? Because you had that caffeine. And what do you do in the morning when you're so tired and you have to get up? You right. have a cup of coffee. <laughs> right. And that was kind of a nuanced thing that I learned um, recently, which was maybe don't have that first cup of coffee right when you wake up, but to try to have it an hour and a half to two hours later. Um, mm -hmm. And that, uh, because many of us get a, uh, a bit of a well human in human biology there's this like lull in uh in activity brain activity and awakeful in wakefulness at around three in the afternoon um and there's some evidence that maybe if you push your morning caffeine to an hour and a half two hours after you wake up um you might be able to uh, help avoid that afternoon lull because what a lot of people do during that afternoon lull is have another cup, cup of coffee um, and so some things that you can play around with. Um, so personally, and it wasn't, it, I did this before I learned that, but, but I'll, on a good day when I have the time, I'll wake up and I'll go for a run and then I'll come back and I'll have breakfast and a cup of coffee, whether it's decaf or, or regular. Um, and that tends to be an hour and a half, two hours later, but, um, something to think about, um, for that afternoon sleepiness. Um, Okay. And so, and then we should mention alcohol because a lot of people, uh, enjoy a glass of wine at night and what, and we'll say, well, I sleep better once if I have a, you know, glass of wine or beer or mixed drink. Um, and while wine, uh, while alcohol can often help us fall asleep better, um, it affects uh, our sleep architecture. In other words, it affects our stages of sleep and, um, it is not recommended to try to, uh, use alcohol to go to bed with um, because you might be a little bit sleepy when you first have it, but then as it is processed, it gets more activating and will not allow you to have a good night's sleep. Yeah. It's almost like, well, I mean, they you hear this word intoxicated and even if you don't 
think that you're drunk or anything. You're still intoxicated because alcohol is a toxin. Mm -hmm. And anytime we have toxins in our body, our body is always trying to detoxify things. And And at night, that's probably what it's going to be doing with that glass of wine is trying to detox it and maybe interfere with your sleep. Right. Uh, that's a good point. And uh, so if you're going to have uh, a glass of wine, for example, try to make it, um, you know, not just the out, not just an hour before you go to bed, but uh, have it with dinner. And hopefully you're not eating dinner late because we've already talked about the benefits of, of t- uh, your guests uh, on other episodes have talked about benefits of time based eating, time restricted eating, et cetera, to have dinner on the earlier side. And, you know, maybe that's, you know, when you look at Dan Butner's work with the Blue Zones, and they and, and they talk about wine at five, which is um, oftentimes in the Blue Zones. You'll see people who, if if they do uh, have a drink, they'll do it with loved ones, and they'll do it with dinner, and they'll do it early. It's not, you know, uh, having you know drinking beers into the late night. That's that's yeah, that's just asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a couple more uh, recommendations before we run out of time, but. Um, have a wind down routine because sleep isn't an on and off switch uh, for most of us. And so it's, uh, you know, is it uh, turn down, uh, turn off the elect- electronics, turning down the lights like we talked about earlier, taking a warm bath like we talked about, have, reading a book, having some aromatherapy um, and uh, things like that so that your body knows you're is seeing these cues and you're like, oh, yep, this is what happens right before I go to bed. Um, and then... Take the clock faces out of the bedroom is a good one because checking what time it is when you're not falling asleep just leads to more anxiety and more staying awake. So uh, if you can do that, uh, uh, put the clock facing away from you on the other side of the room or in the next room so you can still secure the alarm when you need to in the morning. Um, And then keep the phone out of the bedroom if at all possible um, because, you know, it's very easy to say, well, I'm just going to check a couple more emails Mm -hmm. Just check a couple of more times to see if, you know, what's going to be on Be Green with Amy tomorrow. And and we're putting off our sleep. We're having sleep procrastination. And the other part is, of course, that all the anxiety that comes from checking it in the middle of the night. And then also knowing that we're going to be checking it first thing in the morning when we wake up. So the further we can get away from that, the better it is for our sleep. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of that's those are the kind of the short and quick for the. sleep hygiene. And I know we are uh, basically out of time, but I, I, I did want to say that with insomnia, um, uh, this is, you know, another level of poor sleep, either falling asleep, staying asleep or waking up too early. And um, the, the treatment of choice is first line is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. So these are therapists who are have special training in helping you to see what mind processes are you doing that, are, that is making your sleep worse? And so wh- whatever the cause of your insomnia was, now things are probably worse because of how you process and think about it. So they work with the thinking. They work with all the sleep habits that we just talked about. They also do uh, interesting things uh, where they uh, recommend how you can, well, if, you're in, if you go to bed, if you're in bed for eight hours, but you're only asleep for four, then what we're going to do is we're only going to let you be in bed for four hours plus a little bit extra. And, um, and then little by little, um, you're really just associating being super tired when you go to bed and so you fall asleep right away. And little by little, you tack on more and more time until you're sleeping a normal amount of time. And this is best done with the specialist who can walk you through it and make sure it's a safe process to do as well. Wow. You had so many great tips. I hope that that, that somebody will take away something that might be helpful to them. 
Of course, you are with plant-based telehealth and you do telehealth consultations, which is kind of like what we're, we are today. We're doing, we're talking to each other. Of course, you wouldn't have pink in the background, but that's what people could do with you. And one of the things I want you to talk about a little bit, but one of the things, of course, by adopting a plant-based lifestyle, which is what you promote, sometimes some of the medications that prescription medications that people are on, they could have side effects that could interfere with their sleep. And you are expert at trying to get people titrated down or even eliminating some of these prescription medications through diet and lifestyle. And that could be a game changer for people too. So why don't you tell us about what you do at Plant-Based Telehealth and how we can find you? Thank you, Amy, for your plug. I appreciate you telling more about what we do. Um, I, you know, so there are 11 of us stocks at Plant-Based Telehealth right now. We cover uh, almost all 50 states. We're going to be at 50 states uh, again real soon. Um, and uh, basically, if you're interested in, in learning how to make healthy choices with diet, exercise, sleep, stress, community, et cetera, how to make the best choices for your body to help you to help you and loved ones get off of medications and lead the healthiest, longest life that you can. Um, see which of us are available in your state, um, and uh, then we can schedule a, a phone appointment. Uh, that's a, a video phone appointment, um, and um, typically appointments are thirty or sixty minutes long, um, which is, I think, a big benefit for folks who are frustrated with the. 10 or 15 minute visits that they're often getting from very busy um, uh, clinics that have the model of thankfully seeing a whole bunch of patients, but, but oftentimes not having quite the amount of time that you might need to talk about all the things that are important to your health. And so we really focus on trying to, um, if you're on medications that you don't need to be to get you off of them, because it turns out that a pill cannot replace uh, a healthy diet, can't replace sleep, can't replace um, exercise. Uh, you know, even these powerful sleep medications that are uh, controlled substances by the government and you have to have a special license to prescribe them. Um, when you look at the studies, they add like five, six, eight minutes of sleep time, 10 minutes of sleep time to your entire night. So why, why are we gonna depend on something that has uh, sometimes life-threatening side effects for an extra uh, five to 15 minutes of sleep a night. So we can do better than that. Um, and we're, uh, we're here to help uh, walk you through it because it's not always uh, an easy journey. Right. And you also go outside of the United States as well, right? You have That's, that's right. Uh, we can do consultations um, for folks who are living outside the U.S. as well. And we have uh, providers that speak Spanish and French and uh, do sign language and uh, speak Hebrew. So there, we have multiple languages covered and stuff. Yeah, that's wonderful. And what I like about it is because a lot of the, especially it seems like a lot of plant-based doctors are becoming what they call concierge, where you have to have a, a subscription for maybe a year at a time or and you have to pay by the month or something, where with plant-based telehealth, if they just want to dip their toe in the water and have just a consult or just you know a short session, it could be a one and done. If if and just to see if they like it, and then they don't have to pay for a year long subscription. That's true. That's true. I, you know, I, I think there are benefits to to committing to a three or six month deal, and uh, maybe someday we're going to have that. 
but but right now like you said you can schedule one appointment and if you uh, at the end of that appointment say i never want to talk to that dr pierce again uh, you don't have to uh and you don't have to pay any more money but hopefully uh it would be something that is a enjoyable experience that you get something uh helpful to take away yeah and we we did have a question which we don't have time for about the benefits of the plant-based lifestyle versus the keto but somebody could actually talk to you about that in the consultation and, and learn, learn about that and see that, that, you know, why, why you promote that lifestyle. You, they can also follow you on Instagram at Dr. Jeff Pierce mm -hmm. as well, and see the kinds of foods that you eat and the activities that you do. And then plant-based telehealth is also on Instagram too. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? You know, I think that's it. I would just say, uh, remember that uh, sleep is not uh, something that, that we can just do when we die. Um, the, the if we're not sleeping the amount that we should be we uh, we're going to meet our end uh, even sooner so remember that it's the foundation to help excuse me the foundation to help uh, along with uh, good diet good exercise and uh, um, that we should uh, I think give good attention to something that has been part of our evolution all these years and so it must be beneficial to us so let's pay attention to it yeah, Rochelle said, wonderful presentation. And T said, great interview. Thank you, Dr. Pierce and Amy. Be strong, be well, be green. And Skylo said, that's terrific. There's a lot of great comments coming in for you. And I just want to display some of them now so that you could see them because I think it's really very nice that people are making those lovely comments. And so I really wanted to thank you, Dr. Pierce, for teaching us about sleep and providing us with helpful tools to get better sleep. And I also want to talk to the audience. If you guys can type in the comments and tell us what you're going to remember, what's your takeaway, and then that'll help people who are looking at this broadcast later to see what if they want to get anything out of it, they can, that can definitely help them. And please stay tuned for a special announcement. I also wanted to thank Just Tat's Voice because she did the countdown and she also did the promos and she did the, the thumbnails for Dr. Pierce and a lot of other really great things. And Just Tat's Voice, tell us who's coming up next. Need delicious, simple, inexpensive, easy, whole food plant-based recipes that are SOS free? Esther, Ben, and Al will show you how. Join us on Friday, September 16th, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Be Green with Amy Live. Well, most of all, I want to thank all of you that are watching and listening and liking and sharing and subscribing. Dr. Pierce and I, we both really embrace this whole food plant plant-based lifestyle and also the other pillars of health, including what we talked about today, which was the importance of sleep. And we want you to share that with other people because there are people that don't know about this and need to know. So I really appreciate that. And all of you, if you can just take your right hand and grab your left shoulder and take your left hand and grab your right shoulder and now squeeze. And that's a hug from me to you. And if you'd like to join me with Dr. Pierce, he's going to become, he's going to be talking about my tagline, which is be strong, be well, and be green. And you can type that in the comments as we're saying it. So are you ready, Dr. Pierce? Ready. Okay. Well, until I see you guys again, remember, be strong, be well, and be green. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thank you, Dr. Pierce. Bye-bye. Yeah,
Now you can listen to Be Green with Amy expert interviews wherever you go. Listen while walking, meal prepping, or traveling. Find Be Green with Amy on Apple, Google, Alexa, Amazon, or virtually anywhere you find podcasts. Be strong, be well, and 